Amen. What a great way for us to, to end those catechism questions. And actually, what a great way for us to begin our series in Revelation. And so if you are there with us in Revelation chapter 1, uh, this morning's reading will be uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The teaching is going to focus just this morning on the first three verses. But if you would follow along while I read Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And Revelation reads this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And this is the reading of God's word. Thanks. Thanks be to God. So we are beginning our new series in Revelation. And Winston Churchill, I read this week, I thought this was a, an excellent analogy in her comparison. Winston Churchill once described uh, Russia or at the time, the, the former Soviet Union, as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. You say that with me? A riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And I thought that that doesn't just apply to the then Soviet Union. That applies to Revelation, right? Revel, the book of Revelation is, is in many ways a, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. And I think that's how a lot of people might see the book of Revelation. It's one of the most difficult books in the Bible to read and to understand. It's full of all kinds of strange symbolism and images and pictures, weird beasts, numerous heads with horns, extraordinary phenomena. And so I think it makes sense that the modern reader finds Revelation Quite strange. Just to be, uh, just to be honest, how many of you, in reading Revelation, or maybe if you read it the first time, thought this was one of the weirdest things that you have ever written, read? Yeah. And so it's in that way, it's one of the most difficult books for us to understand. And uh, unfortunately, then it remains a, a rather closed book for us. 
Um, but I don't think that that needs to be the case. I think it will be excellent for us to go through this book of Revelation and to understand what it would have to say to us and what it really is uh, about. The big picture of Revelation is that this is written as a word of encouragement, strong encouragement, given in images and visions and pictures to the people of God who, when they look at the world around them, think the kingdom of God is losing or has lost. It's written to a group of Christians who believe that Jesus died and was crucified, buried, but was resurrected and is ascended up into the heavens and is ruling as king over all things and believe that, but then look at the world around them and see, don't see that the kingdom of God is advancing and is victorious. How many of you looking at the world today get that same feeling? You think that maybe the kingdom of God isn't advancing from a worldly from, from what we could see and from a, a worldly perspective. But God has given this word to John and to us so that we could see what is really happening. We could get through these, through these images and pictures, and we're going to get into what those mean and, and uh, how to understand those as we go through the series. Um, but has given these for us so that we could get God's perspective on what is really happening with the kingdom of God. That despite how things look in the world today, Jesus is king. Friends, Jesus is reigning and he is ruling. And so revelation in that way is a gift to us couple of uh, things about Revelation. It is written by um, John, one of the disciples of, of Jesus. We had just finished 1 John. Uh, John is uh, the author of 1 and 2 and 3 John. We just went through 3 John. He's also the author of the Gospel of John. And he is the recipient of this vision that he has been given. And this comes at the very end of the first century. They date the book of Revelation to about 95 A.D., which would place it during the reign of Emperor Domitian, who was a really bad dude. And we're going to get into Emperor Domitian uh, a little bit later. Domitian, like other uh, uh, Roman rulers of the day, assumed titles of deity. So it wasn't enough just to be Caesar and ruler over the, the largest empire in the world at the time. They, he had to take on di titles of, of deity. One of his titles that he demanded that he be addressed was Dominus et Deus Noster. I'd have to ask my daughters if I'm pronouncing the Latin correctly. But that is uh, our Lord and God. Can you imagine this? The Roman ruler, Domitian, demanded that he be, give, that he be uh, addressed as our Lord and God. God. So you can imagine what Christians in the first century who uh, are not considered a legal or protected class religiously, uh, who are proclaiming that their Messiah was, was defeated on a cross but then came back to life again and was ruling and is reigning, but is no longer present from what they can see visibly. And they believed his word that the kingdom was going, his kingdom was going to rule forever. 
and yet they see this evil, wicked, oppressive ruler who is addressed as our Lord and our God and who demanded worship of him everywhere throughout the Roman Empire. You would feel like they're losing. And so John is writing in that time at the end of the first century and he gets this vision that he is commanded to share. So this morning, I want to focus a little bit on what is the book of Revelation. And uh, there are four things I want you to notice about what the book of Revelation is and how that will help get us firmly, um, our feet kind of firmly situated on the path of understanding this, this book. So there are four things that I want us to notice about what the book of Revelation is. First of all, it is a letter. And you can follow along in your handout too. It is a letter. Notice what it says in verse 4. It follows a pattern that's very common of other ancient letters of that day and follows the pattern that's common that we would see even in New Testament books like Paul's books or Peter's books, right? Notice what it says in verse 4. It begins with the author of the book and then addresses to whom this, this letter is written. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And then it has the typical Christian greeting you would find in a letter too. Grace to you and peace from him who was, who is and who was and who is to come. So we have to understand it's, it's a letter. Notice as well at the very end of the book, it kind of, it ends with the same way that, uh, that letters would typically end too. So the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. All. And so it has kind of a, an ending and a benediction. So one thing to, to keep in mind as we're reading the book of Revelation is that it is a letter. It is a letter. Second thing we need to notice is not only is it a letter, it is a revelation. And I know there, this is probably the biggest duh of all four of these points, right? That's the name of the book. Revelation, right? Uh, but, I, but I want us to understand a little uh, more about what this means. The Greek word for the title of this book, and it's actually the very first word uh, of the Greek text of Revelation, is the Greek word uh, um, apokalupsis. Apokalupsis. Uh, and it's very uh, often can be translated into English, if we were to render it into English, as apocalypse. And maybe you've heard the Revelation of John referred to as the apocalypse of John. How many of you have heard it that way, right? Okay, now when you think of apocalypse, we need to understand what that word really meant and it's different than how we would understand it, uh, how we use the word today. Many uh, today use the word apocalypse as a synonym for catastrophe, right? You know, the apocalypse. Or you might think, if we were to do a word association game, I say apocalypse, what do you think? Zombies, right? Zombie apocalypse. It's the end, of, the end of the world in a catastrophic kind of way. How many? So we have one zombie fan over here. Any other, no other zombie people, huh? It doesn't mean catastrophe. The word actually means to like pull the lid off of or to unwrap. It's the unwrapping or the unveiling or the uncovering. That's what the word apocalypse means. It, it means something that maybe was secret is now, has now been revealed. And uh, often 
the connotation is in a divine sense that God has revealed something here, which is a which is quite a, a different way of understanding uh, revelation. This is a revelation of what is happening now, who is ruling now, and it's a little less than just a revelation of what's going to happen in future events. It includes that, but it's more than just that. It's about unveiling the the reality of what's going on in the world today. So it's a disclosure, an unveiling, a, a revealing. So it's a letter, it's a revelation, or it's an unveiling, it's an apocalypse. But it's also a prophecy. Notice what it says in verse 3. Blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And uh, again, you've maybe heard me say this in reference to the word prophecy before. Many, when they hear the word prophecy, they think of the predicting of the future. But biblical prophecy is uh, more best understood as a declaration of a word from the Lord, a pronouncement as a word from the Lord. So it's, uh, it's not just the foretelling of future events. It's the foretelling of the word of God. Okay? So when we think of prophecy, we need to think it's less, although it includes the foretelling of future events, it's the foretelling of the word of God. Great, great example to help illustrate this would maybe would be the, uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah being a, an Old Testament prophet, right? And he's considered a prophet. He was given a word from the Lord to go prophesy to the city of Nineveh. And you, we all know the story about how Jonah didn't want to go do that. He didn't like the Ninevites, so he tried to run in the opposite direction. He went down to, uh, to, the, to the ocean to get down into a boat and try to run away from God. And he swallowed by a fish. And that's basically what we learn in uh, children's stories. But we, we often forget the rest of the book. He finally gets spit out onto dry land, ends up going to Nineveh, and the word that he has been given is to the Ninevites from the Lord is repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to bring disaster upon this city. And so he goes with his prophecy to say, repent. And you kind of feel like he just kind of does it in a um, half-hearted sort of way. Repent. Because the Lord is going to destroy this city. And the Ninevites do repent. And so what God had said was going to happen to Nineveh doesn't happen. Right? So it's not the predicting of future events. Had they not repented, the prediction of the future events would have, hap would have happened. See? It's more than just the foretelling of what's going to happen in the future. It's... Uh, it's more than the foretelling of what's happening in the future. It's the foretelling of the word of God. And that's exactly what Jonah does. And that's what we have here, too. We have uh, the foretelling of the word of God given to a people, to an audience, so that they could understand and that they could um, live according to what God has revealed. And it would include predictions of future events. But it's helpful for us to remember Revelation is the foretelling of the word of God. And that is actually what the fourth one is, too. So it's a it's a letter. It's a revelation. It is a prophecy. And it is the word of God. Verse two. 
It says, who, this is John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is helpful for us to know that what we have here in this book is the word of God. This is from God. This is not from John. Doesn't have its origins or source in John. This is from God. And that means that we could trust this book. We could come to the book of Revelation expecting to hear the voice of God speaking to us, to encourage us. This is the word of God. Notice the chain of communication that happens uh, in this conveying of the the word of God. Um, And I've got a little diagram on here, too. Um, There is a there's a sequence in a chain of communication from the origin, the author of this book, all the way to who it goes to. Notice it says here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. Okay, so you have God, the the Father, giving to Jesus Christ this revelation, whose ultimate goal is to his servants. And here, servants are not special ministers, it's not priests that... Uh, bishops are those kind of things. The servants of God are the people of God. For all who are in this room who have professed faith in Christ and you trust in Christ, you are a saint. We've looked at before, but you are also one of the servants of God. And so this is for you. Notice as well, there's a couple of other links in this, this chain. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So here you have God the Father, giving this revelation to Jesus and Jesus who makes it known by sending it to his angel or messenger. And then the messenger takes it to the servant, John and John is merely just passing on this down to his servants, which means his followers, which means us. So as I said before, revelation, it's a letter. It's a revelation It's prophecy. It is the word of God and it is given for us. So it's prophecy. It's a word of the Lord unveiling not just about the future, but the way things really are so that when we could see the way things really are, we would have encouragement to be able to face what it is that we're facing, the difficult things that we're facing in the world today. How many of you feel like sometimes the The kingdom of Christ isn't winning. Isn't winning the way we would expect the kingdom of Christ to win. It appeared that way in John's day. I think that we could go through and uh, look through uh, many places in our world. Of course, here in this country, too, we could see uh, evidence of the kingdom not advancing like we would think. But if you it's especially true when we think of what's happening with the persecutions and and such that are happening all across the globe. This is a gift for us to see God's perspective. I want you to notice, too, a little bit how we can understand 
some of these images and signs and symbols in Revelation. I want you to notice verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, God gave to Jesus Christ, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel. Here's, a, here's another very interesting word here. Um, it's, it's not the general word of like just disclosing a bit of information here. This made it known is a, a word that you see in the Greek translation of the, the uh, Old Testament of a specific revelation of God. And a, uh, it's related to the words for signs and symbols. So I think John here is giving us a little bit of a clue of how it is that we can interpret revelation. This made it known is conveying something through the use of signs and symbols and pictures. And this really draws, um, should draw the, the reader to uh, understand or see how much the Old Testament has influenced John and is evident in his writing here. The word, uh, this word, the Greek word, uh, semino, um, is to disclose through use of signs and symbols in a divine sort of way, is used uh, quite frequently in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. And so uh, I want us to go look to, to Daniel, chapter 2. So if you would look to Daniel, chapter 2, and you'll get uh, what I think is one of the chapters that is kind of the... Um, underpinnings of what's happening in Revelation. And so it's a long chapter, but we'll, we'll go through it. I want us to read it, and I want us to, you to get a picture of what this is saying here and how this kind of serves as the, um, the, the foundation uh, behind what we see in the book of Revelation. And many of you know this story. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now, keep in mind the setting here. This is uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this is uh, in Babylon. During the Babylon exile, the, the kingdoms of Israel were destroyed. Uh, Israelites were taken over into this foreign land. They were exiled as their punishment for uh, abandoning the covenant relationship with God. And you know the story about Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so Nebuchadnezzar is the king ruling at that time. The king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O oh, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. This is quite a gig, right? Tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means. Nebuchadnezzar apparently was troubled enough about this. He was going to have none of that. Look at what he says. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream... And its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. 
They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, see, notice this, that's the words here. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the dream of the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. And they are right. There is no man on earth who can make who can meet the king's demands. They say that the, the, the thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king. No one can show it to the king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him because Daniel was kind of lumped in with this group of people. He was considered one of the wise men of the Israelites. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show him, show the interpretation to the king. Wow, the courage of Daniel. We see the courage of Daniel many places in this account in here. One of the ones that fascinates me the most is where he says there's an interpretation of a dream. And Daniel knows this dream is from God. And so he goes, I'll, I'll show him the dream and the interpretation. And then he prays about it. <laughs> so I, I kind of wonder, like, maybe he should have prayed about it first and then done the thing. But, but then he prays about it. Look what he says in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the manner known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names. And told them to seek the mercy from God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So here's see so you should be catching some of what's happening with John is a kind of a recapitulation. It's happening again. What happened with Daniel is happening again with John. And the themes are very much the same. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give Thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. You see this word reveals, made known, made known to us. What's happening with John is echoing what is happening here. Shall I go ahead and finish the story? Let's finish the story. 
Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring them in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel says to the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery. Not a good leading line, by the way, right? <laughs> you know, I'm going to kill all these guys who can't show me the dream. Are you going to show me the dream? Nobody could do that. Oh, here we go again. You know, like Nebuchadnezzar is thinking. He goes, no, no man can show you those things. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Okay, notice the, there's a God who reveals mysteries. Revelation. He has made known through signs and symbols what will be in Latter days. Okay, notice those, those terms. And then he goes to tell him the dream. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he, re he who reveals mystery has made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and you may know the thoughts of your mind. And then Daniel goes to interpret the dream. So you saw a great image. It was mighty, exceeding in brightness. It stood before you. The head of the image was of fine gold, the chest and arms of silver, its middle and its thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now I will tell you its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. 
as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. And I love Dan, uh, the Nebuchadnezzar, what he says to Daniel. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Thank you for being with that very long chapter because this is very important for understanding the book of Revelation. He's giving him, he's telling him what's going to happen in later days, he says twice, Verse 28, and again in, uh, um, in the later 40s there, he says, this is what's going to happen in later days. This is the vision that you have seen. The, the head of gold, that's you. Okay? The chest of and arms of silver, that's the kingdom that's going to come right after you. Which is probably referring to Medo-Persian kingdom that ended up conquering and destroying Babylon. He goes, the third kingdom that had middle and thighs of bronze is the kingdom of Greece. The, the Greece empire with Alexander. And that kingdom was conquered by the Romans and the Roman empire, which is the fourth kingdom. The legs of iron, the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Notice the, um, the um, value of the material decreases from gold to silver to bronze. But the fragility, and some would even say even the moral decline of, of the kingdoms kind of incre increases. And then notice it's the last, the stone not cut by human hands that will strike the image and destroy all of it. That stone, we know in the New Testament, that stone is Jesus. And notice what it says, where the stone strikes. Does it strike the stone, in the, the image in the head? Does it strike it in the chest? Does it strike it in the legs? No, it strikes it on its feet. Jesus entered right into the midst of the height of the Roman Empire to set up a kingdom that was going to destroy that kingdom that destroyed the one before it, that destroyed the one before it, that destroyed the one before it. And that that kingdom was going to be a mountain that fills the earth. Friends, that's what's behind Revelation. When John gets these same sequence of words, the signs, he has made it known through signs. You're to be you're to be understanding Daniel 2 and his prediction of the future events in later days that the kingdom will be established and it will rule over all things. 
And John's vision is that kingdom is now. He's made it known. The stone has come. The mountain is, is being established. That's the background for understanding this book of Revelation. You should know that even in the midst of this Roman Empire, when its leader was demanding to be addressed, our Lord and our God, the stone had already destroyed it. It was ready to crumble. And Christ's kingdom was being set up. So, with that in mind, now we understand what Revelation is supposed to do for us. And notice this. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Daniel several times said what will happen in later days. John here says uh, we must show through through. Through Christ, through the angel, we must show what must soon take place. The latter days has come. It's happening now. And so he says that. And so the time is near. So a couple of things for us to keep in mind here. This is for our blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed. The, John's readers, when they were to read this vision, it had been communicated through a chain of, of, uh, chain of command to give it to his people so that they would be blessed by what they're reading. Blessed, us, uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep. Notice James's words. Um, it's not just enough to hear it. We have to guard it, keep it, protect it, cling to it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at the natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he looks like. John says something similar here. Blessed are those who hear and to keep what is written in it for the time is near. So friends, this word is for us, for our blessing. We are blessed to read it. We are blessed to hear it. We're blessed to heed it and do what it says and asks us to do. So uh, to summarize, to put it this way, here's the main point. God has delivered his word to bless his people who face difficult circumstances. God has delivered his word through his son, through the angel, through John to us so that we would be blessed in hearing it when all around us it looks like the kingdom of Christ is losing. Let's heed it and do what it says. A couple of tips, a couple of things I would encourage you to do this week. Um, here's your assignments. Yeah? Here's your, here's your to-do list. Read all of Revelation. Blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Here's your assignment. Read it. Read all of Revelation and in one sitting. If you, even if you're an average 
speed reader, you could read it in one hour. I know it sounds like a lot, but um, I mean, you look at it, it's 22 chapters. Are you sure you could read it in an hour? Yeah, you could read it in an hour. The, like the audio Bible for Revelation, I looked it up this week, and the guy is, he's kind of saying it at a pretty leisurely pace. It's an hour and 10 minutes. So even if you listen to it, it would just be a little over an hour. So I'd encourage you to spend approximately one hour sitting down and reading through all of Revelation this week. And if you have a chance to do it more than that, do so. Read it a couple of times. A couple of tips to, to help you in that. And we'll go through these more in detail later, but it might be helpful that I've given you assignment. Read Revelation with humility. Praying to ask God, God, help me to understand. Try to see uh, the message to the original readers. If you're seeing something in the signs and symbols and everything that would be very unique to only 21st century people, it wouldn't have made sense to them at all, then maybe you could set that aside and try to, try to seek an understanding that they would have understood. Don't try to look for a strict timeline of future events as we get later into Revelation. Uh, I'll show you that it's more cyclical, the descriptions of things that are happening there. Take Revelation seriously, but don't always interpret it literally. I, I've heard this many times. I remember hearing this in college, that unless you interpret Revelation literally, you're, you're, you're not taking it seriously. Those two things are two, totally different. You interpret something symbolically and metaphorically if it tells you to do so. And that's what Revelation has done. We're, um, when the vision was made known to Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't say, there's four kingdoms and you're the first one and the last ones are going to be destroyed, right? He goes, he shows him an image, head of gold, chest of silver, arms of silver, right? There's images that have the meanings into it. And so if the scriptures are telling you, by the way, this is signs, these are symbols, and we'll show you what those signs and symbols mean, then, uh, so interpret it that way, but still take it seriously. It is the word of God. Pay attention to uh, when John identifies an image. We'll get to that in a little bit. Look for the Old Testament or look to the Old Testament and historical setting when interpreting images and symbols. You should give an example of that from the references and the allusions to Daniel chapter 2 that begins this book. And above all, focus on the main idea. Don't press all of the details. Okay, Focus on the main instruction here. And that main instruction is that God is choosing to deliver his word to bless his people who, facing difficult circumstances, don't see how his kingdom is winning in this world today. Amen? Amen. Let me close with a word of prayer, and then um, we will take communion together to close our service. We'll continue our worship in that way. Father God, we, uh, we want to bless you, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come, the Almighty. We thank you that you are the God who is the revealer of mysteries. And we thank you that you have given us revelation. We thank you, God, that it is what it is. It is a revelation. That it is not a, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. That this is 
your word given to us so that we can understand and see the ultimate reality that is playing out in the world today. And so, God, we ask you give us hearts to embrace what your word would say to us, what this book would say to us. We ask, God, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we could take the message of revelation to heart. We thank you for Jesus being that stone who crushed the image and turned it into dust. God, we know that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And God, help us to catch your vision of the reality of your kingdom, even in the midst of a world that seems like is winning. So help us to see things from your perspective. May we read your word with profit and that it be for our blessing. We ask you do this through Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand for our, benedic- or for our uh, taking of the Lord's Supper together. <laughs>